0: Welcome to Eternal Impact, how Biblical characters and stories have changed lives today. I'm your host, Aaron Matthew Kaiser. In today's episode, we talk with my friend Steve Dunn, the senior Protestant chaplain for a downtown Los Angeles jail run by the Sheriff's Department. He will share just a glimpse of what he's seen there, while also telling us his journey that brought him to Christ and then into prison ministry. This is a wild discussion that you won't want to miss. So let's jump right into it. So Steve, I want to thank you for being on this episode of Eternal Impact. Thanks for asking me to come. Let's first talk about how we know each other, where we've met. Sure, that'd be great. Tinseltown Ministries, uh, for those that don't know, it is a a church in Hollywood that uh, has met on a couple of studio lots at times, a, couple of people's homes. Right now is meeting in a church, but it's it's not exclusive to, but it is designed for those in entertainment. Do you want to talk about
1: how you came to the group? Uh sure. Interestingly enough, uh, a very godly brother in the Lord that I was doing jail ministry with. I would see him a couple of Sundays a month. Um and our friendship grew there. I happened to mention that Bible study and he uh, he and I are members of the same church, Grace Community Church in Sun Valley. And when he endorsed, he who I knew to be a godly man sold out for the Lord, same church as me, same doctrine, for him to have uh, thought so highly of that Bible study stirred me uh, enough that I would ask him questions here and there. And ultimately, months later, I said, hey, why don't you take me one day and It was uh, it's a good group Uh, run by as as you know so well. You've been a part of that ministry for a lot longer than me, a little over thirteen years, I think. Wow, I just hit five. five Okay, yeah, I started going when I was in seminary, and uh, well, it's worth mentioning. I was just looking for a change, just needed a break, even if it was only for a couple of hours one night a week. And uh, in seminary at the Master Seminary, I was very blessed to daily. As a full-time student, interact with a boatload of other godly men, most of whom were younger than me in seminary, of course, um, who just loved diving into doctrine and discussions at lunch and you know on breaks and and talking about the Word of God and growing in God's Word and uh, whoa was that awesome! But it it's also a quite a demanding curriculum, and I found myself getting worn out pretty quickly, and um, I found that particular Bible study, not associated with Grace Community Church, but maybe that's part of what really... uh, What drew you? Yeah, drew me in, just the thought of, okay, Christians in a totally different world, separate from the world that I'm immersed in right now. How
0: crazy did you find us? Because I keep telling people, entertainers creatives think differently than everyone else. Do you find that to be true?
1: Uh, yeah, it's, you can't get around that. <laughs> and you're quite a character yourself, brother. So, yeah.
0: I, I don't know what would uh, make you say that. Yeah,
1: I just, <laughs> but yeah, quite a quite a crew of characters uh, run by a godly man now in his 80s who's sold out for the Lord, who uh, is an excellent teacher, a gifted teacher. What sold me out about the seminary that I went to, and we can get into that in a minute, but uh, was... The respect for doctrine that they carefully guard doctrine that they hold doctrine uh, with such high esteem that they value and they understand the critical importance of right doctrine and can I name names? Go for it, Gary. Uh, yeah, eighty-two years old now, I think, somewhere uh, around there. Yeah, or is it more like a hundred two? We
0: don't talk about Bruno.
1: Yeah. <laughs> He values uh, right doctrine also, and he's a MacArthur fan, and none of us agree on absolutely everything. That's what I actually
0: appreciate about him is he will mention, oh, Big," Ma-, he calls him Big Mac. He goes, Big Mac says this. I don't know if I agree with him. This is one of the areas I don't agree with him. He rarely says but, that part about disagreeing. But every once in a while, so it's not like he's lockstep right. with him. But
1: Anyway, great group, godly man. Of course... The group itself runs the gamut in terms—a very broad spectrum in terms of uh, where they're at theologically. Some, mm. and it's like any good Bible study. Some of them are not saved. It's a study that attracts and helps lead the unsaved to Christ, which in itself is huge. And, and there, then some that think they're saved. and Like in any other church. I don't know if we could keep talking stories. Yeah, about...
0: let's get back, dial it back a little bit and talk about Because you didn't grow
1: up here in Los Angeles. No, no, I didn't. Yeah, I'm from the East Coast, Northeast. Um, born in New York City. Raised out on Long Island. Dad was a New York City cop. I don't know how far you want me to go with these kind of details. Um, I was raised in a... You were born at a very early age? Yes. Very very early age, yes. Uh, I was also raised in a devoutly Catholic family, Mm. and I still have uh, great love for the Catholic Church. I was an altar boy. Uh, But from an early age, I don't want to get into too much detail about uh, those early years, uh, but I'll say this. I can look back with great clarity and say that the Lord had his hand on my life from a very early age. And in fact, one of the reasons that uh, Joseph's story in Genesis is so, so pulls at my heart, I learned the story of Joseph long before I understood the real message of the gospel. So before you got saved. Oh, years. Before. I I, wow. I gave myself to Christ in, well into my adult years. Anyway, music teacher in a public school, a secular school, I look back and i I don't remember much except that I suspect she was sold out for Christ. And she used the soundtrack for the musical. Joseph and the Amazing, His Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Okay. That musical that some years later, Donnie Osmond, I think, uh, took on the lead role. And they brought it over on stage all over the world. I don't know. Anyway, I fell in love with that. I can sing the words to every one of those songs on that, on that album. And I learned the story of Joseph. In some ways, I, I don't ever want to really get into in a public forum like this. Um, it applies to my life. I, there, there were things that I could uh, grasp out of that story and cling to, and it gave me some hope about some certain things. But anyway, where was I going with that?
0: You were talking about understanding the story of Joseph years before you came to Christ.
1: Right, And it, and it early on revealed to me how God can providentially work in the life of a man who's sold out to the Lord. Of course, I f- didn't fully hear, I didn't have really much of any comprehension of what that meant being sold out to the Lord or for the Lord. A- and I look now and I have in my notes, uh, people have probably heard this. What is it, 13 chapters, the last 13 chapters of Genesis and the first chapter of Exodus mention Joseph. Well, Exodus one mentions Joseph, but those other 13 chapters are, are all about Joseph he's he his story is held out more, is presented more in the Bible and in the Old Testament than any of the other patriarchs. That's how much God, in his sovereignty decided Joseph's story, how much value it has in terms of what what he wants conveyed through his uh, inerrant word.
0: That was kind of the interesting thing with uh, the first episode when we talked about Joseph, and it's like, well, what part? Oh the entire life i'm like that's a lot of so i had to read like 15 chapters to get ready for the episode just like i don't know where we're gonna go so i just read everything yeah. and made notes based on what i was reading
1: we could probably get back to the story of joseph mm-hmm. you wanted more foundational yeah mind.
0: let's let's talk more about you what brought you to, to so, l.a
1: l.a well how about what brought me to christ first there you go that works uh getting out into the world living life the world's way Trying to be a good Catholic, again, I'm not trying to alienate Catholics. I hope my story can draw in some Catholics. Uh, And, of course, I learned about Christ through the Catholic Church. I learned about the Holy Trinity. I learned about who Jesus Christ is, what he did on the cross, how God the Father brought him back from the dead. But, you know, brother, there are a lot of other doctrines thrown in the mix there that are not found in God's Word. They're found in other uh, writings and traditions, and, and uh, I think
0: the key word there is traditions.
1: Yeah, over my adult years, God kept putting me, uh, putting men across my path who loved God's word and who were sold out for Christ, and who would occasionally, more than occasionally point out the inconsistencies between what I was raised to believe and what the Bible says. It really reached a whole new uh, level for me in terms of the Holy Spirit working on my life when I it became clear to me that the Catholic Bible except for what we call the apocrypha, the Catholic Bible is essentially the same as my Bible. It's the same it's the same Bible, slightly different translation, different but you you crack open a Catholic Bible and you're gonna find all of the things that Christ said, you're gonna find that, the, that are quoted in my Bible, everything about salvation. And when you try to reconcile it with the teachings from the Catholic Church, you come up a little short. But that's not what ultimately led me to Christ. What led me to Christ was uh, sin. I'm a sinner, I'm a grateful sinner, and I look back, uh, God in his mercy kept revealing more and more truth to me over the years. And there was a point where my sin was crushing me. And the Holy Spirit's hand, I believe, was on my life in a big way. And I'm grateful that I didn't win the lottery. fact, I like to joke, um, you know, in jail ministry, and we'll get to that, I, I often... I'll I'll say to an inmate when he's asking me things, well, what's your story? I say, well, you know what they want to know, when did you come to Christ? What does it look like when you become a follower of Jesus Christ? And I often say, well, on that day, I won a million dollar lottery. I was engaged to a PhD nuclear physicist who was also a, a Vogue model. And I keep going until they, I can see in their eyes that they're catching on, that I'm, None of that was going on in my life. And I'm grateful at this point that none of those kinds of things were going on, that God withheld certain things that I kept asking him for. And I used to treat God like, uh, I call it the genie in the bottle yeah. version of God. There, and, there's so many times we do that. Big time. Where, you know, that you're basically, you rub the bottle, God pops out, grants you your wishes, oh God, give me this, oh God, give me that. And then, day hey, God, thanks, I got it from here good to go. We'll talk to you later. And hopefully the guy goes back into the bottle until you need him again. Well, I mean, we so
0: often get caught up with the, you know, the verses like, he wants to give us the desires of our heart. heart. But when you really dial into it, what scripture is saying is that our will needs to be set aside so that God's will becomes our will and his desires become our desires,
1: yes. and those are the desires of our heart that he will fulfill. And he will shape and guide your heart like a water course. Yeah, he will He will shape your heart if you continue to turn it over to him. You're right. Well put. So where was I? What was I?
0: <laughs> I'm not sure who's going to get in more trouble going down rabbit trails today, you or me. Yeah,
1: I'll, I, <laughs> trust me, brother. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll definitely win that that, that award. I came to Christ. I was in my, well into my adult years. And um, it was tough. Because you're, when you walk away from the faith that you were raised to believe by a family that was devoutly practicing that faith, there's a whole lot more than belief system wrapped up in it. There's the culture, there's the 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 community that you you've been Im- immersed in your your up until that point in your life and it's very tough but Christ the Holy Spirit made it a lot easier for me and at that point I made some with the Lord's help I made some huge changes in my life and my growth as a follower of Christ ever since I I surrendered to Him as Lord has been it, it it's had a little ups and downs like every new believer's life but it's been essentially linear and there's a point where I uh, years into my walk with Christ was hungry for more and I had been plugged into ministries I was a full-time lawyer and uh, living a very comfortable life a, a federal government lawyer in washington d c and uh, uh but the Lord kept putting out on my heart that he wanted more out of me and I loved it I was like, oh, Lord just you know what does that mean show me and I kept. Uh, asking him for wisdom and discernment. And when God's word tells you, when you ask for wisdom, he'll give it to you in abundance if you really want it, if you're hungry for it. And at a point, and I had tried some, uh, several different ministries, and I know God was working through me during those things and that I was growing in the midst of them all. But ultimately, the Holy Spirit made made it very easy for me I left my career uh, early, left it behind. Now, I'm not saying I'll never practice law again. And you know what I did in the military. I did um, in the reserves something different we don't need to get into. But I left both of those things behind, which were a great blessing up to that point in my life. And I came out west. Not uh,
0: not to get too into it, but what did that look like where God
1: made it clear to you? Oh, boy. Um, I have to think back. It was just over seven years ago now, so uh, it's three years now since I graduated, a little more than three years. I took on a pro bono lawsuit representing a small church group in federal court because their constitutional rights had been violated, and I was so confident the Lord used me through that, but there were some things I never saw coming, and there were other times just in my ongoing uh legal work for the government where you give it your best shot and the outcome you're stunned by worldly judges and their, and their decisions that are not consistent with the law and you're just left bewildered lord i do doing my best to you know represent you and and that this kind of thing's happening and i i got to a point personally i suppose where i, I really got convicted of the notion that I'd really like to just be about representing Christ indifferent to the outcome. And there's an old saying, um, you know, as followers of Christ, we're not in the results business. I think that Mm -hmm. little axiom has been used by a lot of different groups, not just Christians. I haven't
0: heard that, but it kind of makes sense. We're just supposed to plant the seed, maybe water it, and then... Let
1: God grow it and right. then we harvest. Well, yeah, and, and to split hairs though, uh, I think it's Matthew 13, the chapter full of the, uh, what is it, six parables? One of them is the wheat and the tares. And a big takeaway from that parable is that at the end of things, Christ is essentially telling us through that parable hey, at the end of things, it's not your job, adopted children in your various churches. It's not your job to weed out the unbelievers in your church. Yeah. Leave that up to me and my angels. It's the job of the angels to separate. Separate the wheat and the tares. Yeah. Which can be a hard thing,
0: especially when we're talking to someone who says they're a Christian, but they say things that are a little off, or we know that they really haven't surrendered their will to God, and at, a, at what point are they saved or not, and at right. what point is that our responsibility or not to keep talking to them
1: about it. Right. And uh, sadly, uh, you and I discussed this a little earlier, that um, too many times people identifying themselves as Christians, when you, for their sake, try to probe their story with them enough to help, help them figure out for sure... Because we're told by Paul in Philippians chapter two, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Take it seriously. It's the most important thing in the universe. Are you saved or are you not saved? So when a man or woman suddenly gets defensive and downright indignant because you're trying to help them get to the bottom of whether or not they're followers of Jesus, are you really born again? Let's go. You know, I can I can point you to some scripture that you can use to Analyze your own life. I don't. I. I don't want to analyze your life. You should do it yourself. I'm not judging you. And they get all defensive. And and that to me, right there, it tends to be a red flag. When I get to know them better, that okay, maybe maybe that was the Holy Spirit uh, in my gut that was saying, Yeah, I don't know if th- this guy's even saved. Nice guy. It's good to hang out with, but. I don't know. Are we going off on another tangent? Uh, We
0: probably are. I I mean, it touches on the last episode where we talked about the parable of the
1: The wheat and the tears. No, it was
0: the first one, the um, parable of the seed and the sower, the different uh, soil, and that there's the four different types of soil. And you have to be honest, there's only one of those four soils, even though some of them show initial enthusiasm and growth. They're not saved. Yeah. And you want everyone to be the fruitful soil that will produce 30, 60, 100 fold. But at the same time, it's their journey and you can't change what soil they are. They have to realize they're not saved and get right with God.
1: Amen. And when we get into my jail work, or hopefully it's the Lord's jail work through me, when I go into that building, daily i have to totally let go of the idea that i'll see any results that glorify god and anything that god uses me for in that day because it's tough ground to hoe there brother it's tough ground it's talking about the 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 rocky soil the rocky um that's such a place but even in places like that i know the lord uses us in other ways maybe it's not the way that we thought he was going to use us when we when, when he put us in the in such a ministry but
0: Let's go ahead and fast forward to that. So uh, you got, sa- did you finish talking about getting saved? Oh, I, yeah. Give me another five hours. I guess I could <laughs> uh, bring that home. No. Uh, Welcome to part 27 of this episode. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. I think uh, we covered that enough. Bottom line, I'm a sinner who needed a savior and Christ was there for me. And my growth ever since then has been definitely an uptrend right. and uh, came out in pursuit of what I am still to this day believe was the Lord's calling on my life. And I, I was starting to say where I got the sense that— Oh, that's right. That's what we were talking about. Well, among about. other things, it became clear to me that what I was doing in the secular world, and even in that pro bono lawsuit, um, the bizarre outcome, which is not— uh, I wouldn't want to talk about on in, on this podcast and for some other time. I never could never have foreseen the outcome— That'll sound, that'll tease people, I I realize, but it was enough that it left me bewildered. I'm sure the Lord used me through that, and yet I really felt that I needed to get to a, a ministry work of a kind where I wasn't so invested in the outcome. It was a lesson for me in many ways, and the Lord used it to help me grow into the idea that he's in charge of the outcome, but ultimately... Uh, I tried some street evangelizing in Washington, D.C. Uh, several times. I got some great, weird stories, um, but the Lord was using me there. And I I was really skeptical about it. I was like, ah, oh, Lord, you don't want me doing that stuff with those guys, uh, do you? And I prayed on it, and I wasn't getting any peace until I tried it out. And I, I don't know. I don't want to get into too many stories. It's not about me, but... Uh, so with two brothers in the Lord, we went and preached in front of the White House on that strip of Pennsylvania Avenue that's now been for many years cordoned off so you so traffic can't drive on that stretch of the road. It's just pedestrians uh, right in front of the White House. And I'm standing dead center, and Barack Obama was president then. One of these friends that I was ministering with had this portable PA system that looked like a, a white tuba hmm. that you— you mount it on your back, and you've got the big tuba here, and you're holding the microphone. I was holding the mic in one hand and, and my pocket-sized Bible in the other, and I'm just pouring out my heart, preaching preaching the gospel. And Aaron, I don't want to take too much time with this, but uh, I'll never forget. It's just, I don't know, a couple hundred people, a big mix of people coming and going, walking across the street on on the sidewalk or in front of the White House, right in front of me and behind me. And people... You know how when you're speaking in a strange environment, you can pick it up when people are listening. You can tell. Uh-huh. And it was eerie. And it hit me. Okay. I'm I'm seeing it. People are slowing down. People are kind of tilting their ear a little bit. People are you know, when, what is it? God's word does not come back void. And I was just preaching it and it became so clear to me God was using me that day and I ended with a prayer uh, for the president. And, And I think that surprised a few people. It convicted me at a whole new level that God wanted to use me to help bring the gospel to this desperately needy world full of sinners like me and you.
0: The thing, and obviously we'll... Probably never know, and maybe and in, in you'll find out in heaven, but there may be someone whose testimony right now is, yeah, I got saved because I was driving through washington d c and and we started slowing down for I don't even know why the car started slowing down, but I could hear what he was saying, and I was shocked it wasn't some hateful thing, and then he was praying for the president, and that might have planted a seed, and that might be part of someone's testimony today.
1: Well, it wouldn't have been in a car. Remember, because it oh, was that's a right, because they pedestrian only. Pedestrian. Since we're there, there's a weird little postscript to that story. So as I'm preaching, some some kid, I don't know, early twenties, you know, give or take, kind of had a uh, millennial kind of look to him. Nice guy, pleasant guy, came up and sat down on the asphalt, on the street, on the pavement, right a couple of feet in front of me with his legs crossed and was just listening to every word. And I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I don't, I, I don't remember the man's name, the young man's name. Um, but after I finished preaching, he started asking me questions. My two brothers in Christ came up and we circled around him and we were trying to answer every question he had. And he had a real hunger for the truth. The guy wanted to hear the gospel. And it was like the, um, the story of Philip with the okay. Ethiopian eunuch. Except this guy was didn't appear to be Ethiopian and I have no reason to think he was a eunuch either. But um sorry. Eunuch <laughs> check, aisle three. <laughs> uh he literally said something to the effect of So what do I need to do? And we're looking at each other like, is this for real? And we were dead center right in front of the White House and dead center of Pennsylvania Avenue. A lot of space around us. Well, you surrender to Christ as Lord. You get that you're a sinner. We walked him through, and ha- I asked him all the right questions. And yeah, yeah. Well, bottom line, I led him through a version of the sinner's prayer of of a of a sinner's prayer. Now, I've learned, and I really respect uh, Dr. MacArthur for this that he he's not too quick to uh, somebody somebody. You get them hyped up on emotion, and they hear the gospel, and they're like, "I'm ready." Uh, I'm I'm not too quick about. Bring a man through a version of a sinner's prayer, unless I get to know him. But on the spot, right there, he seemed legitimately hungry for the truth, and he—I could see it in his eyes. He—he he had this new sense of uh, understanding, and he wanted to move forward with it. And is he a Christian today? I—I I, I can only trust that he is. But that's not the end of the story. He gave his life to Christ, and at, in the jail, I'm—I'm I'm often telling my, I've got a huge volunteer team of excellent godly men and women sold out for Christ. And some of them have, they're in the habit of, they'll preach the gospel, man they never met, the man will seem interested, and they'll ask him, so do you want to give your life to Christ? Yeah, sure. Okay, repeat after me. And they'll walk him through a version of the sinner's prayer, and they come back to me, and they're all excited, Steve, ah, seven people gave their life to Christ today. Let me get this straight. You just met these people and in the last hour seven of them just okay the holy spirit can certainly work that way but uh, i was I, I continue to try to get people to be a little more a little more um discerning and okay that's good um anyway bottom line end of that story uh <laughs> it's a true story this is crazy uh so the kid, he, we finish praying over him. He prays the sinner's prayer, and he's all excited. And and then we notice, and he looks over, and there's a big black SUV that the secret service people, or whoever it is that mans those, uh, you know, those things in the road that come up and down mm-hmm. electrically.
0: The pillars, the the yeah, I, I know a, there, there's a specific word for it. Yeah, but, to
1: block vehicles. Yeah. Well, that you know, they hit a button and those things go down. This, and somebody hit a button, and those things went down, and this big black SUV rolled very slowly into the center of that stretch of Pennsylvania Avenue. Window rolls down. Hey, come on, we got to go, and there were, I don't know, three or four guys that looked to me like they were Secret Service, and uh, I don't know who this kid is to this day, but he got, he got in that vehicle And exited out the other end of that stretch of Pennsylvania Avenue. In the SUV? In in that black SUV, yeah. So like, Wow. (laughs) Yeah, I've got a couple other stories like that I won't get into. But to me, the bottom line is, with stories like that, it became really clear to me, okay, Christ has other uses for me. Preaching the gospel and evangelizing, as opposed to... As
0: as opposed to working as a lawyer. Being a
1: government lawyer, a government slug, I used to call myself.
0: I want to jump ahead to what you're doing now.
1: Okay, early on in in seminary, my first year, um, they encouraged us at the Master's Seminary. I I think it's excellent. Uh, They encouraged their students. I assume they still do to this day. Hey, don't be a bookworm. This isn't a monastery. We don't want you hiding out here full time in the library. Get plugged into different ministries. See where the Lord can use you. And I took that to heart. And I did a little street preaching with a couple of seminary brothers. And among other things, I tried a college ministry. There's a thriving, the Lord's using a a, a ministry at UCLA, main campus. And I went, I faithfully went there every Friday night. It was back then. It's probably still on Friday nights for about half a year. By the end of that half a year, I had no reason to sense that the Lord was using me there. You know, I I stepped up to be used by the Lord. It wasn't happening. uh, But at the same time, I was getting plugged into jail ministry and there's no way around it. and, And I believe I have an evangelist's heart. I think the Lord shaped me to do that work. Inmates. Hungry for the Lord, hungry for the truth, who have hit a place in their life, unlike us, most of us in, in the ongoing day to day world we live in. These guys, and not every one of them, not even a fraction, a, it's a small fraction of them, they wake up if, you, if, you, if you're just open up to being used by the Lord. And I think the Lord shaped me with my hard headedness and my military years uh, a certain way. I just get right to the punchline with these guys and and most of that is with an eye towards sifting out all right who am I wasting my time with I, you know in this jail with thousands of inmates and you probably have to have a pretty tough exterior as well Yeah but I I have no <laughs> I have no problem with that I, um, cutting through the muck and literal muck from what I understand uh, yeah and some pretty disgusting moments but that doesn't happen often yeah yeah, the Lord used me in jail ministry, clearly, right from day one. And there's nothing more satisfying than going home. Brother, you can have a weird, tough, uh, challenging day at jail. But for me, when I come home, I I go to sleep like a baby. Well, I've, I've got some sleep challenges that have nothing to do with jail ministry, but I've had them for years, Uh I leave the jail with a sense that if nothing else, usually worn out, but with a clear sense, the Lord used me that day, with that one guy, or with those three guys in that one pod or that on that one floor, and there's nothing more wonderful than that. And that's 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 what feeds my soul and, and energizes me. It keeps me going back to those that crazy place. But Dan, do you feel that generally you're more maybe planting seeds
0: or anything like that, or do you actually see impact in people's lives?
1: The turnover is so high, Mm. I rarely see the same man more than twice before he's... uh, It's a jail as opposed to a prison. Well, let's also talk about, I don't know if you want to say the name of it, but you're the senior Protestant chaplain for the particular jail I work in in downtown L.A., yeah. And that particular jail has been set aside by the county... So there are, I think, seven pretty massive jails in Los Angeles County, six really massive ones, plus a a seventh that's been big and small at various points over the years. There's a new county policy in place, relatively new, uh, and the the sheriff in pursuit of that uh, essentially has to now send any inmate from any of those jails, and we're talking 12,000, 13,000 inmates, has to send... Anyone who's been diagnosed with a mental illness to or suspected mental illness to the jail that I work at. So I, it's an unusual jail. It's a pretty strange jail. It's not that
0: it's the worst of the worst, but it's some pretty
1: hard characters. Well, what the world typically diagnoses as mental illness, I, I am utterly and fully persuaded that maybe 99% of them, what they're dealing with is spiritual in nature, not, not mental. Although it's, you could argue, getting into semantics, it's mental illness that's caused by spiritual things. I, if you want to go there, bottom line, it's spiritual. It's spiritual. And the secular world and the county now uh, funds, or it's a state, I think, that funds... There are a whole slew of uh, mental health workers that are paid to go into my jail and that are treating these inmates as mentally ill. And I know what the real solution is. It's not psychotropic drugs. It's the gospel that they need. And right now in my jail, there are about 2,700 inmates. And they run the gamut, but the vast majority of them are on psychotropic meds of some kind and they are among the most violent and the most unwell yeah incoherent at times mm. out of all the thousands of inmates in the LA county jail system and um i don't go again i don't go in there with any illusions i go in there and do what i need to do and i'm grateful when the lord occasionally puts a man in my path who is clear-headed enough to hear what i have to say And hungry enough at this point in his life, the Lord has, I often tell a man, look, you're not here by accident. If God is sovereign, and then I have to define what sovereignty is, if God is in control of everyone and everything, he either caused or allowed you to end up right where you're at. And I say it's typically to remove the distractions, many of the distractions of the world long enough, hopefully, so that you can get a clear enough head to hear the gospel from somebody like me. And that's what I'm here for. I'm not here to make you feel good. And I say that. I'm not here to comfort you. I'm here to bring the gospel and to to bring you to hopefully that the Holy Spirit can bring you to a point of convicting you that you are a sinner. And that's ultimately what brought you to this place. You're a sinner just like me in need of a Savior. When they're hungry for it, there's nothing, nothing in the world, in my life have I ever encountered that's so satisfying, as being able to bring that foundational, essential, cosmic truth of salvation, of the, the way God wove into the universe and into time and into, into reality, this plan of salvation through His Son. Nothing more satisfying than being able to bring that message, or more accurately being used by the Holy Spirit to bring that message. And I'm confident to this day that when I encounter such men here and there, that the Holy Spirit providentially arranged that that interaction and decreed, decided that that interaction was going to happen before he even created time itself. Does it get more satisfying than that? What a privilege to be part of that. Anyway... Okay, where where are we going here? (laughs) (laughs) So clearly this is not
0: somewhere that you would have initially chosen to go, at least not
1: this facility. Definitely not that facility, and frankly, not jail ministry. I was just trying to yield to whatever the Lord would show me. Okay, I can use you right here, Steve. I can't use you there. Well, that's where you showed me you could use me. Uh, I don't know how much longer I'll be in that ministry, um, I know the Lord has used me for six years now. I've been in that particular jail, the senior chaplain, for a little over a year now. And wherever the Lord wants me to go with whatever's left of this life before he calls me home, I know I'm going to be an evangelist. I know I'm going to proclaim the gospel. Uh, it may not be in a jail. No, I certain. want
0: to dive in into Joseph, but I, I guess a way to do that is you had mentioned that you had— really understood Joseph's story way back in grade school. Has your work in the jail changed or enriched that at all? Is it? Uh, do you see certain things now that you didn't back then because of the world you're
1: exposed to now? Well, I suppose I've, I've uh, matured in my understanding of, of that story, of, of the essentials of it that really uh, tickled my heart and... and pulled at my heartstrings when I was so young and didn't even understand the gospel bottom line you know this it's, it, Joseph is a lot of people's favorite story were you there at
0: yeah this. it was this last
1: Wednesday, Wednesday yeah when Gary uh, this
0: last Thursday what yeah. was the
1: question he asked that everyone answered the-, the question was
0: obviously aside from anyone in the Trinity God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit who in the Bible would you most like to have a sit down conversation with and at
1: least three, four people mentioned Joseph. I'm thinking a couple of weeks back, it was a slightly different question. Mm. But that too, the answer for many people is Joseph. So I just point, I mentioned that just to highlight the simple truth that you're going to interview probably plenty of people. This is the to third come.
0: episode and already the Joseph second time we're talking about Joseph. There you go.
1: It's going to come up over and over. His name, his amazing story, but getting back to it for me. What, what did I learn among many valuable lessons to take away from that story is that God in his, in his love and his sovereignty will providentially allow you or cause you to end up in some pretty horrible places in life, places that none of us would choose to be in. And as long as you keep turning to him as Lord and keep surrendering it all to him on a daily basis, he'll use those times to his glory. He'll use those times to shape you into the exact person or or give you the exact skill set that you need for him to use you in a way that you could never have imagined he could have used you. Who chooses adversities in life? Yet I look back and I've had more than my share and no desire to get into them. But bottom line, I look back and I, wow, okay, the Lord just brought me through the ringer you know kind of let me get knocked around quite a bit here and there and and I did some knocking around and a lot of foolish living shaping me along the way shaping me to use me shaping me into a tool removing the dross from the silver you know that that parable uh, mm-hmm. uh, the proverb yeah remove the dross from the silver and out of this out from uh the silver co- comes something that the silversmith can use And how does the silversmith remove the dross from the silver? Heats it up, melts it down. Big time. Scrapes it off. Got to put it in a crucible and light that fire. Got to make it super hot. Burning hot. Burning hot. Torturously hot. And that's how God works in our lives. He'll put you in in the heat just as much as you can bear, just enough to remove... The impurities, to, to weed out, to, I don't know, to get rid of those sinful habits, get rid of those things that he needs to be rid of so that he can actually use you and, and he purifies you. And yeah, and out of the crucible comes silver that's useful for the silversmith. And the silversmith, I believe, is a metaphor for for Christ. You know, he can use you once he's removed those impurities. Once he's taken you through your wilderness years, if you if you keep turning to him as Lord, he'll keep refining you and removing the dross until ultimately he's got something he can actually use to his glory. We so often don't want to go through that. I think, especially
0: here in America, we're like, no, no punishment, no, no trials, no, right, right.
1: no inconveniences, and then we'll be raptured and uh, yeah, <laughs> right. I do believe in the rapture, though. By the way, yeah. doctrinally, I think it's very sound. But yeah, I remember when I was younger, high school, college, young adult ministry. One
0: of the songs that we would sing all the time in worship was "Refiner's Fire." Purify my heart, mm. make me as gold, uh, pure gold. I'm quoting more the song than the the psalm right now, but it's you know Refiner's fire, and you know you have to go through that to, to have all that. Guck and, you know, muck and stuff taken taken
1: out. And I can pull Joseph into this now. Okay, just let's go quickly. into Joseph. Well, bottom line, Joseph had some, obviously, some pretty tough times. God put him in the crucible, Lord, put him through uh, just a stunningly uh, challenging times. And through it all, he kept turning to the Lord and kept putting his life in the Lord's hands, as I read it. Uh, and it's at some point in uh, in uh, Genesis, in the story, Joseph's story, it says, and through it all, he didn't sin, That's not the, which right. of course does not mean he was uh, the, uh, sinless. He was not right. our Savior. I think because Joseph was determined by that point in his life, I bet he must have been so stunned at what his brothers did to him and i i can only imagine he probably spent years just dwelling on that moment and what led must have led up to that moment that his brothers were ready to beat him to a pulp and sell him into slavery like what the, what was his part in all that and there's a scholarly debate out there about whether uh, joseph well it was his own sin his pridefulness i was one i was
0: just thinking i'd never thought about that before but as we were starting to dive into it just now i was wondering i mean he did say hey you're gonna bow before b you know maybe he was a little haughty to begin with and not that he deserved what he got but it may have been the motivation for what he got
1: maybe but we're not told enough in scripture so i don't want to judge that man um i don't know that that his that his sin was a sin of pride i know his brothers suffered from another sin gonna go uh Secular for a second here, really big picture is uh, one of the richest men in the world. I just saw an interview of him, ninety-eight years old right now, and he said something I found kind of insightful coming from such a man who will I don't believe we're going to see in eternity. But he did say, "The world is ruled not so much by greed as by envy." You think about it. Here in America, hmm. for instance, most of the vast majority of us have what we need. So it's not a matter of you know, greed, oh, I, I, I want more food. No, it's my neighbor's eating lobster, and I'm eating you know, whatever. Although with the way finances are going. Well, what now? The yeah. future, the near future, yeah. it's a different matter. But the, the way things have been up <laughs> until now, yeah, we could talk about that forever. But uh, envy, I think that's what was going on with his brothers. It wasn't greed because right. Joseph's father, Jacob, provided for all of them. They were all. They all had plenty to eat. They had clothes to wear. They were taken care of. Oh, but they didn't have. The they wanted. It nice. was envy. They wanted what Joseph had, and I get that. I probably would have. And, would have really related to that. And at the
0: end of the day, it probably
1: wasn't the coat that they wanted. What they wanted was their father's love. Absolutely, their and well, not their father's love so much as their father's favoritism. Great, favoritism, big time. Yeah, that's what they ended. Which with. was, really, his father's sin. Fair enough. But I, and I suspect, though, that as best he could, their father loved them, just they loved mm-hmm. Joseph more. I believe that by the, by the time uh, Joseph found himself in that prison, he must have been at a point where, so overwhelmed by, by circumstances and by how he ended up at that point, that I, I, I can't help but think he would have had nothing left by that time in his life except... What do I have? I, I don't have family anymore. I've been sold into slavery. All I have left, and he, of course he had his faith in God, all I have left is my integrity and my determination that I'm going to honor God with whatever's left of this life. Even if it means, even if some rich and powerful wife of somebody throws herself at me, I'm still going to turn away to honor you, God, even if it means that I—it's the end of my life on that day. I believe that's what he—I can't help but think he got to that at that point, that he—and I can—I can in so many ways relate to that. That there's a point in my life where I was like, "Wow, nothing's turned out the way I thought it was going to turn out." God, I—I'm I, one of yours now. Thank you. I'm one of your adopted children now. But I—I uh, I really wouldn't have chosen too much of of the way things ended up ended up in my life and i got to a point of just being convicted that all right you know what this life will end so at this point if i'm really one of his redeemed i need to get to the point of simply with all i'm worth as best i can regardless of the consequences just trying to live a life that honors christ now i'm not perfect at that i i mess up pretty regularly but uh Anyway, I can relate to that about Joseph. There was a thought I just had that the lowest
0: point in Joseph's life was likely the moment his brothers had thrown him into the pit and sold him into slavery. Because at that point, he was beaten. He he was rejected. He was in despair. Mm. He probably didn't know what the next steps were. But then from that point forward... We saw God's hand on him no matter where he was. Yes. He gets sold to a very prominent Egyptian, and everything he does, however long he was in Potiphar's house, was blessed. And then even after the thing with the the false accusation, he gets in prison, and he's sent because of who he was employed, well, not employed by, but who he was, you know, under Authority of the Potiphar, being very high ranking, he was thrown in the king's prison. So it wasn't with the, the, like the type of jail you were at; it would have been a minimum security. Well, well, in who knows those what days, security? Whatever would, it was, yeah, who knows that. what the security was? But it yeah. it was a special class of prisoners because it was all the people that the king sent there or the pharaoh sent there. And then there, he's given. Authority and prominence and every like basically he's given rain. It's the 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 prisoners running the prison basically Mm. under him. And so everywhere we see God's hand and God's provision and the lowest point in his life Mm. is probably in that pit when they
1: were still debating on killing him. And he came that close to being killed by him that day. Sure. And imagine how blown away he was shocked at what was going on in that moment. What? Just his own brothers? Yeah. The Lord was with Joseph. I actually did a quick uh, word study uh, a while ago. Chapter 39, Genesis 39. That phrase or some version of that phrase shows up at least four times in chapter 39 alone. The Lord was with Joseph. Very much along the lines of what you're just saying. God definitely blessed him, anointed him, but God was providential, of course. It was God's plan all along. I'm sure for Joseph it didn't feel like it. A favorite personal story. Another one aside from Joseph, Old Testament, New Testament. John, end of chapter 7, beginning of chapter 8. The adulteress brought before Christ. And you heard me talk about that before. How I can so relate to just imagining that woman, what her mindset must have been at that point when she was being dragged across the city and was thrown in front of Christ by these Pharisees. That's a woman who knew she was about to die. She was about to be executed. And she knew she had violated God's law and said she deserved it. That's what my gut tells me. I can relate to that. And trembling, she's thrown at the feet of the creator of the universe. And he turned the whole thing around. Do we want to actually read the scripture real quick? What part? Sure.
0: You could. Let me just read all of the beginning of John 8 real quick. And this is in the uh, LSB translation. Hmm. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people were coming to him and he sat down and and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have evidence to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones that's an interesting point i never caught up beginning with the older ones that's good stuff and he was left alone and the woman where she was in the center of the court straightening up jesus said to her woman where are they did no one condemn you she said no one lord and jesus said i do not condemn you either Mm. go and from now on sin no more
1: i bet the reason she never spoke up in the thick of all that because she as i said from my point of view my take is that she already in her own heart she knew she was guilty she knew she had she deserved whatever the creator of the universe was about to bring on her the the, uh, stoning or whatever it would be she knew she was about to die and she deserved it i can check in on that i can relate to that there are points in my life where i as a sinner I look back and there are certain things, and I think we all have them, who came to Christ later in life, certain things that I'll always be burdened by in this life, that um, were what the Holy Spirit used to convict me of the reality that I I am a sinner, destined for hell, and that I desperately need a Savior, and that Christ was that Savior. One other thing you know I was going to talk about, we could, we could spend an hour on this, what I have been exposed to it, the jail in the world of the demonic and we just don't have the time but uh i could talk literally talk for hours about that and i've been doing i've been doing a lot of reading and a lot of studying and listening to various sermons from different people on this uh trying to nail down this whole world of things um because the lord put me in that particular jail for reasons and i want to make sure i'm not missing any of them i know we touched on it earlier But
0: what, I I guess we could frame it this way. What is the number one thing that anyone listening or watching to this this episode really needs to know about what's going on
1: in the jails, like spiritually? I'd have to think on that some more. They're all sinners. Every one of them, you know that, in need of a savior. But the common factor with the vast majority of them, by the way, is hardcore drugs, mm. meth, or fentanyl, or derivatives of fentanyl, or uh, heroin, uh, and a couple of other uh, uh, hallucinogens, mushrooms, mm-hmm. things like that. There's a word, I've been doing a, a prolonged word study for a couple of months here, and I could, I've could, i got notes on that, I could break that down to take an hour. The word pharmacia shows up in Galatians 5, and in Revelation 21 and 22. Um, pharmacia. Translated as sorcery. That was in the first century when Galatians was written. Homer used the, the, same, the same root uh, word in the Greek in the 8th century. Hundreds of years before Christ came along, that word was in common use. Translated as drug use. Hmm. Yeah, actually, I'll, I'll just touch on this real quick. Pharmakon. Now, pharmakia is the word in the original Greek that's translated in in Galatians and Revelation translated into sorcery. Pharmakon is a drug, an enchantment, a substance with magical powers. And it's been used, it's been found in various ancient Greek writings, that word properly translated into into that, that English, drug use, use of a drug. As an enchantment, a substance that, that that renders magical powers. Subject to more homework on my part, I'm going to have to do more of a word study. I mean, it kind of
0: makes sense a little bit, too. I mean, what do we see with a lot of people who are hocked up on,
1: like, PCP? They got superhuman strength. Brother, I, I, I have stories. Most of them are not suitable for your podcast. What I've seen and dealt with at that jail... But to me, the connection's inescapable, and I try to make it to every inmate I think is lucid enough to hear it. I have a placard I wrote in big letters with a magic marker, pharmakia. And I tell them where that word shows up in, in God's word, and it's sorcery. And pharmacon is drug use. And this is after they every one of them has had hardcore drug issues. And I try to tell them, buddy, you have opened your soul up to the world of the demonic Okay, you are essentially, by using those hardcore drugs, you are practicing. I think it's fair. It's a fair use of the word pharmacia to say that that man, that inmate who's using meth and who's using uh, fentanyl and other things is practicing sorcery. And in doing that, he doesn't even realize he's doing that because all he wants, and, and I pulled this out of them. there's a lot more to it, but he wants to feel different. He wants to be empowered in some way that he can't. By living his normal life day to day so he uses drugs to get into a different world a different mindset and in the process he opens his, himself up to the heavenly realm i believe that and i could make a case for that if we had time i could make a case over an hour or so and the stories i could tell would they're they're bone chilling the stuff that i've been exposed to the weird interactions with what i'm totally convinced at this point is Demonic in nature, and I don't take the, I don't say that lightly. I'm not someone who ever saw a de- I mean, demon behind every tree, uh, but they're there. And the reality is, there is a spiritual war. They are there, <sighs> and there's
0: so many ways in our lives and areas that we open ourselves up to the demonic. But hypnosis is a big one that people are willing to do. Oh, I need to stop smoking, so I'm going to go get hypnotized. No, no, don't you do that. Self-hypnosis, like any of these groups practicing that. I mean, it's there's so many things that open the door to the demonic and
1: we don't even realize. Jordan Peterson, are you acquainted with him? Oh, yeah. A lot of men are. And I. Uh, he's got a lot of solid, worldly insights. I'll give him that. But he's no Christian. No. He's not a born-again believer, and I don't think he has any curiosity, a hunger to know the Lord. I mean, if anything, he seems to have come to
0: maybe some head knowledge of, oh, there might be some truth here. But I don't think...
1: All that said, and we could talk about Jordan Peterson for an hour, uh, but I've listened to enough of his little lectures and presentations to have heard him say this more than once. He's personally used hallucinogens, and he has shared... His story, which when I've done the research, because I want to know what I'm up against at the jail, I've researched this enough. When you do hallucinogens, which is a a very specific category of uh, illicit drugs, virtually everyone who's ever done hallucinogens, their stories have two commonalities. As I recall, Jordan Peterson said the same thing. First, that when they were in the thick of it, using that drug, they felt, that the reality that they were in was more real than normal life, was more real. And the second thing that, by and large, I think it's virtually, if not all of them, with perhaps few exceptions, they all had one other uh, thing that they had in common, was they encountered beings mm. that were not human. Now, check this out I for hadn't yourself. I had heard this myself. Check it out for yourself. And I think that just goes hand in glove that fits perfectly in with this notion that drugs are a gateway to the demonic. And here Jordan Peterson actually has said enough, and he's very guarded about how he puts it, but he said enough that he actually promotes, he very subtly encourages men to try hallucinogens because it was such a positive experience for him. But those two common factors that uh, they felt like they were in more re- living more real life moment to moment while they were on those drugs than during normal daily life, and that they encountered beings that were not human. Listen, if you encountered what I encounter at that jail daily, especially on a certain particular floor where I deliberately go to minister, and it's ugly and it's disturbing every time, and I can tell you stories that would creep you out, the one thing I'd love to be able to convey about my jail experience, aside from what I have, is that those deputies, those men and women who continue to step up day after day and put those uniforms on are doing a desperately, horribly, terribly needed service that is so taken for granted in our culture. And I, find if this is an opportunity, I want to thank them. I try to do it there. And I hold them up in prayer right there with them, and I do it on my own. But I think, by and large, this is a, this is a foolish culture we're living in that's trying to defund police departments and sheriff's departments. It's pure idiocy. It's, I don't mean to get on a soapbox about that, but I, I think very highly of those men and women. They, you have no clue, brother, what a service they are doing for our community to keep that world of people off the streets and yet there are many more of them on the streets and that's the other point i wanted to end with lawlessness brother the numbers of people of inmates who have reached that level of insanity of what the what the world calls mental illness that level of spiritual um, depravity is increasing very rapidly in the six years since I've been doing jail ministry, I've seen it. We are dealing with a level of lawlessness that I've never in my life seen. And it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's crystal clear in God's Word that as Christ's return approaches, we will see lawlessness exploding at a level like never before. So it has been a pleasure to talk to you about kind
0: of a difficult subject. It's the dirtier side of society, almost talking about what's going on in the jails and the prisons. And we never want to talk about our sin. And I think even as people who are saved as Christians, a lot of times we don't want to, because we know that we've been redeemed from it. And you can either take two avenues with this, continue beating yourself up over the sin you've been forgiven over, or, Give yourself a license to do whatever you want and not worry about your sin ever again. And I think we're probably supposed to hit land somewhere in the
1: middle of that. Keep turning it over to Christ yeah. so he can use what's left of this life before he calls you home. And in the process, every day you do that, you're storing up treasures in heaven. Yeah. Get your hindquarters in gear, serving Christ and glorifying him with the days, whatever days are left of your life. And our days are numbered. Well, thank you again for appearing on the podcast. It was a pleasure having you. Thanks, Aaron.
0: Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Eternal Impact. I want to thank Steve for sharing his story with us. What he's seen and experienced in this particular jail is representative of the larger spiritual battle happening in lives all over the world. Do not be naive. The war is real. In order to combat it, we need the gospel. In our next episode, we switch things around as I become the guest, and my friend Ken Dickerson takes on the host role to ask me which character in the Bible I most relate to. It's going to be a fun episode where the tables are turned, and I can share a bit more about why I started this podcast in the first place. Please don't miss it, and make sure to subscribe and share this show with your friends. For more information or to join our email newsletter, visit our website at eternalimpact.show. Until next episode, I am Aaron Matthew Kaiser, and this is Eternal Impact.